Flowing Water Fragrant Mountains is a podcast series chronicling the hiking expedition which Jim Zumberg undertook in the summer of 2019. It is a collaboration between Jim and his son Thomas. That's me. Episode 7. Pick Up at the Portal. I arrived at Crabtree Meadow just before noon on the second-to-last day in September, a Sunday. Tonight would be the last night of my John Muir Trail trip. Normally, it would be way too early in the day to stop moving. So far, since I began the backpack on the 11th, I had taken only two zero days and otherwise had been averaging almost 13 miles a day. Today, I hadn't even hiked five. The official end of the JMT, the summit of Mount Whitney, was less than eight miles away. In my original planning, I had considered a number of possibilities for the last night out, and staying here at Crabtree wasn't one of them. I thought I would at least get to Guitar Lake, three miles away, or maybe even stay overnight on the summit of Whitney itself. Planning weeks in advance cannot foresee the real-time conditions you actually encounter. My friend John had texted me earlier in the day that weather.gov had forecast a low of 15 degrees for Guitar Lake with winds gusting to 35 miles per hour. Using my satellite communicator, I checked the forecast for where I was and told John, Crabtree forecast is five degrees warmer than guitar. Similar wind, but better cover. On balance, I like where I am for tonight. It felt good to have made a decision. Now I wanted to use the remaining daylight wisely. I spent more time than usual deciding where to pitch my tent. There were many possibilities, and I finally settled on one that had both sturdy trees around and would provide good exposure to the sun as the afternoon progressed. I wandered around the area a bit, looking for the ranger station. I crossed a small stream and noticed hard ice, even in direct sunlight. I found the cabin, which was locked up. Either the ranger was on patrol or, more likely, The outpost was closed for the season. I returned to my campsite and used my bear canister as a seat, facing full-on sunshine to cheer me up. Tomorrow would be a long day, beginning with nearly 4,000 feet of gain to ascend Mount Whitney in the first eight miles, followed by a long descent into Whitney Portal of over 10 I did the math relevant to my current circumstances. I figured less than two miles per hour average, given the altitude, cold, pack weight, and my general weariness. To make the arithmetic easy, I assumed 1.8 miles per hour, still optimistic, for 18 miles. That would mean at least 10 hours moving on the trail. Rest stops would add yet more time. One of the last things I had done in Independence, along three days earlier it seemed, 
was to arrange a pickup at the portal from Kurt, who runs a shuttle service out of Lone Pine, the town below. Kurt had said, send me a text message a couple hours before you expect to arrive, and then call me from the portal store. I let him know I was aiming for a no later than 6 p.m. arrival. To be on time, I'd have to get started very early, by 6 a.m. anyway. Tomorrow, Monday, I would be approaching Mount Whitney from the west, something I hadn't done before. I decided to do a reconnaissance of the first mile or two, since I'd likely be hiking that section in the dark. Now, with the sun shining, would be a better time to learn about any surprises, and I had the time. To my wife, Cindy, I texted, This is my last night out, big day tomorrow, working up enthusiasm, it's hard in the cold. Not long after, I felt the last of the sun's direct rays for the day, even though official sunset was still an hour or so away. I cooked dinner, cleaned up, then retreated to my tent for the night. I had set my smartphone alarm for 4.30 a.m. Like every night, my phone was in one of my socks, inside the sleeping bag with me overnight, to keep its batteries from being drained by the cold. The sound was muffled enough so that it took a few minutes, I think, for me to realize it was time to get up. Or at least start thinking about getting up. I felt the need to choreograph the process in advance. Getting dressed, having something to eat and drink, beginning to load my backpack, these were things I could do while still in the relative warmth of my tent. Things could go wrong in a number of ways if I didn't pay attention. For example, once I removed water bottles from my sleeping bag, there would be freezing if I left them unattended for too long. Also, I needed the screwdriver tool on my Swiss Army knife to open my bear canister. I could easily misplace that knife in the pre-dawn darkness, which would mean no or delayed access to food. Other items that I couldn't afford to misplace were my hat and gloves. This would be a day when I would be wearing almost all of my clothing, even when hiking uphill, to keep tolerably warm. I took my time and was deliberate in everything I did. I noticed a handful of tents in the area, of campers who had arrived late in the day on Sunday, and I didn't want to be too noisy. I had decided the night before that this would be a cold breakfast morning. I didn't want to fuss with the time and effort of boiling water for coffee. Eventually, I got out of the tent, broke it down, and packed everything up, all in the bitter cold and all in the dark, before any evidence of impending sunrise. My headlamp was a critical piece of gear. I began walking at about 6 a.m. and was glad that I had done the reconnaissance on Sunday in full light. I attached two carabiners to my pack straps at waist level, one on each side, and clipped one water bottle to each of those, the gentle sway as I hiked 
would keep the water sloshing enough to prevent hard freezing, though slush still formed. I was using trekking poles as I had been for the entire journey. They would be especially useful today to help me keep my balance when negotiating patches of frozen water that covered many sections of the trail. My gloves, chosen months earlier primarily because of their light weight, were not enough now to keep my hands warm. Sometimes I would carry both trekking poles in one hand so I could put the other in my jacket pocket, then swap when the exposed hand was too cold to bear any longer. The beginning of morning twilight told me that sunrise was near. I welcomed the natural light to see by and soon took a short break to stow my headlamp. But it was obvious that, being surrounded by high peaks in pretty much every direction, it would still be some time before I could appreciate the warmth of direct sunshine. I made progress past Guitar Lake at about 7.30, noticed two or three campsites with little or no activity, and continued on. I stopped every so often to warm my hands directly on my torso, which I found more efficient than the trekking poles in one hand while moving approach. Around 9 a.m., I began a set of switchbacks that lasted for about an hour. Then I arrived at a junction. To the left was the summit of Mount Whitney. To the right was Trail Crest and the path down to Whitney Portal. Finally, in direct sun, I found a spot that had some protection from the wind and sat down. It was back in the mid-1970s when I first ascended Mount Whitney via a two-day backpack from the portal with an overnight in trail camp on the other side of the range from where I was now, at about 12,000 feet. Then, again in 2013, I made two ascents of the peak, one in June with my younger son, and another in August with two cycling friends. Both of these ascents were successful day hikes that required pre-dawn starts from the portal to give us enough time to summit and be down before sunset. For all three of those previous Whitney events, conditions were very favorable. Conditions now were not. On Sunday, when I was planning this last day, I had texted John saying, I will descope Whitney Summit if necessary to make 6 p.m. at Whitney Portal with Kurt's shuttle service. John, who had been following the GPS coordinates that I shared with him from my satellite communicator, had noticed my earlier-than-usual start time today. Early this morning, he texted, Looks like you'd be able to summit. My favorite author on climbing and hiking in the Sierra, Steve Roper, describes hypothermia, more commonly known as exposure. In his book, Sierra High Route, he says, quote, The typical scenario begins when an exhausted hiker pushes their limit during cold or windy weather. The first symptoms include an inability to keep warm, 
unusual weakness, and excessive grouchiness, soon followed by fits of uncontrollable shivering." Unquote. I thought of continuing toward the Whitney summit, but something told me no. I headed for Trail Crest. It was only 0.15 miles to Trail Crest from the junction, but it was uphill and took me over 10 minutes, a confirmation that I needed all of what I had left to get down to the portal safely. As I descended the roughly 100 switchbacks that led down to trail camp, I was pleased to be in direct sunlight continuously for the first time that day. It was still windy and cold, and I felt no need to layer down. I was constantly on the lookout for ice patches, and there were many, often directly in the middle of the trail. I reminded myself that of the 200 miles I'd walked over the past few weeks, I may have stumbled or tripped a few times, but not once did I allow any such misstep to turn into a full-blown fall. I passed by a half dozen or so hikers headed up and reached trail camp around noon. I noticed fewer tents in the area than I'd ever seen before. In an hour or so, still on a steady descent, I realized that I was getting too warm to keep wearing my long johns. I took a short break, layered down, ate the last of my peanut M&Ms, and drank some water. Around 2.30, I reached Outpost Camp, a lower elevation choice for Whitney hikers who value a short first day during a two-day backpack ascent from the portal. There were a few groups there now. Ice still covered sections of the trail. I decided to take another break and check in with my shuttle driver. I texted Kurt, I'm at Outpost Camp. I'll text you again when I'm at the portal store. It was an easier downhill walk now, becoming more dirt path and less rocky trail. There were still a couple of short water crossings to negotiate, and I picked my way across those gingerly. Finally, I arrived at the portal just before 4 p.m. and immediately texted Kurt saying, I'm at the portal store. We'll order a cheeseburger. Can you give me an ETA on your arrival? Over the last few miles, I had been thinking of the fabulous cheeseburger and fries that the Portal store offers. I was not disappointed. I was seated at one of the tables outside the store, finishing my food. I got a text from Kurt. I am on an urgent ride and won't be back until after 6 p.m., coming back from Yosemite. Within seconds, even before I felt a sense of disappointment, a pickup truck rolled up on the road just below the store and stopped. The driver looked up and asked, Anyone need a ride into Lone Pine? 